1: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.
0: Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where my guest reveals the five things from any time in their life that they would like to have in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing they would rather forget, and then we talk about them and why they've chosen them. My guest in this episode is the actor Rita Simons, who is probably best known for playing Roxy Mitchell in the BBC's EastEnders for 10 years, until her character was killed off alongside her on-screen sister, Ronnie Mitchell, played by Samantha Womack. Yeah, laugh a minute, EastEnders. Rita was also a contestant on the 2018 series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, Before her acting career, Rita was in the groups Girls at Play and Charlie. And on telly, for example, she's been in Dream Team, Mile High, All-Star Mr and Mrs, The Weakest Link, All-Star Family Fortune, Celebrity Juice, Celebrity Chase and Pointless Celebrities, Loose Women and Celebrity MasterChef. She was also in the film The Craze. And on stage, she's done a number of pantomimes and the musicals Legally Blonde, Everybody's Talking About Jamie and most recently Hairspray. She's won awards at the National Television Awards, the British Soap Awards, and TV Now, TV Quick, and TV Choice Awards. But a list of the jobs someone's done never really describes the person they are, do they? So let's find out more about Rita Simons by discovering the five things she'd like to have in a time capsule. Here we go. Right. So you're going to tell me about five things from your life that you'd like to put into a time capsule, Rita. I am. And I'm fascinated to find out what they are because you've had the most extraordinary journey and the most incredible things have happened to you.
2: They have. And there's so much I could put in from especially my EastEnders days, but I feel like everyone knows about the Enders stuff. So even though they are some of my most definite time capsule moments, we're going to leave EastEnders, even though Barbara Windsor would have got a big old time capsule moment, but we're going to leave that aside.
0: Okay, well, let's start with number one and see where it takes us.
2: Yes. Right. Number one, I've had to write them down to remind myself because there were too many to choose from. (laughs) Okay, so number one, a lot of people don't know that I used to be in music for... 10 years before I started acting. And I was 19 years old, went for an audition and ended up getting a place in a pop band. Right. And there was this little boy with me who looked like a moomin. <laughs> he had this like curtain haircut and these big, big brown eyes. <laughs> and his name was Duncan James. Ah. And we went on to do this incredible kind of like, I don't know, it's about four years of,
0: banding. What does that mean? Does that mean different bands?
2: Well, no, one band, but we were doing gigs and we were in rehearsal studios and we went away to record albums and we were like brand new. I was just out of drama school. In fact, I cut drama school short because I was offered a place in this band. Yeah. So the guy that was managing us was this super rich guy who basically just had money to burn and a beautiful apartment in Kensington. Mm. And we were obviously just 19 and awestruck. And we spent this kind of four years living this lavish pop star life <laughs> that he was funding. We're still friends. He's lovely. He's got too much money.
0: He's not got as much as he used to have.
2: <laughs> no, because we caned it all. <laughs> we milked him to death. Um, and, you know, we'd go to the best recording studios in, you know, in Fulham. There's a lot of great recording studios. Yeah. You know, and at the time Bros had been in there, and we had the most incredible. Um, she was our vocal coach, Stevie Lang. Mm-hmm. So Stevie Van Lang used to be married to Mutt Lang, who produced, I think it was Def Leppard. Wow. And she did the <laughs> Wow for, for, for You. She was famous for doing all those ads. Yeah. And we just lived this like crazy, four insane years of. It was just lavish. The band was called Tantrum, Hmm. and it was really the first taste of professional life after drama school.
0: And was it a girl band?
2: No, it was me, Dunk, another boy and a girl.
0: Right. So this is before he went on?
2: Yeah, so... We all left that band eventually. Dunk was the last to leave because he's so loyal. Mm. I was a bit more like, right, that's it, I'm out of here.
0: I'm sick to death of people paying for me to travel all over the world.
2: I cannot (laughs) eat another oyster in (laughs) Harrods on my lunch break. So I realised we were gigging, we were gigging, we were getting offered deals, but we weren't taking them. Mm. And I was a bit like, hmm. Mm. So off I went and joined a band called Girls at Play who did okay and Duncan joined this band called Blue mm-hmm. and boom they took off
0: hugely just about the most good-looking bunch of men you've ever seen put together I
2: know <laughs> I know well I've known the boys since I mean since they were boys because mm. I I was there for when they were put together and in fact I supported them on tour Twice, I think, because I was in girl bands. I went on to be in about another 489
1: bands.
2: (laughs) And a couple of them, we supported Blue and we went on tour and we did the arenas. I mean, every arena in the country, it was wild. We partied hard, hard, (laughs) and then went back on stage the next day, Mm -hmm. feeling like death. But it was just one big era of joy and it was wild. Yeah. And like I said, lavishness and if that's even a word. <laughs> but most importantly, I got my dunk from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it, that everybody thinks that's the life I want to lead. But the thing you take from it is the friendship you've made.
2: Oh, absolutely. These things don't last. And again, same with EastEnders. It was fabulous. And everywhere I went, people coming up to me all day long. But it doesn't last. What lasts, like EastEnders, is Sam for me. Mm-hmm. I've got Sam. So, yeah, it's the things that come out of it. And also learning your profession for the first time is something else you take out of that. Yeah. No matter what your first job. Yeah. Although we had it easy.
0: And the nerve that it gives you, the confidence. You know, to walk on stage at an arena is a very daunting prospect.
2: Well, my first ever gig with the girl band was at a Radio 1 roadshow, and I believe there was about 100,000 people there. Oh, God. (laughs) And I have never felt more like a dot in my life. Yeah. But shall I tell you something weird? I get more anxiety doing stuff like this because it's one-on-one, I'm not hiding behind a character, and I'm just being me, and I find this much more daunting than performing at the Coliseum in front of 3,000 people. That, weirdly, it's not easy, it's not easy at all, but that, for me, is you go on, you become a character, and you do what you're supposed to do. You've practised You've practised. But the minute it's intimate, for me, maybe that says a lot about my personality. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to
0: put my clothes back on?
2: (laughs) Get your coat.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs>
2: it's funny because people do they're like how do you do that and I really have performed everywhere I find this more daunting I really do
0: Well, I suppose we are strangers you don't really know what I'm going to bring to the table do you no I mean I could suddenly really throw a curveball you could and reveal this man
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then I would just start
0: singing <laughs> so when did this anxiety start for you
2: Oh, the anxiety started um, from the minute I can remember. I do do a lot of um, kind of advocating for mental... Mm. Really lots of advocating for mental health because I've dealt with it my whole life. And when I was about seven, my parents used to go out and I'd say, what time are you going to be back? 10 o'clock. And if they weren't back at 10, I would get this knot in my stomach and I would be sick And I would ask the babysitter to phone the police and to phone the hospital. And I constantly thought everyone was dead, constantly. And it just got worse and worse. Then it turned into OCD as well. So then when I was 14, I was sent to be diagnosed and it's hereditary. So my dad also has OCD and there's quite a lot of anxiety in the family. And just as I got older, I found more and more things to worry about. And I do believe that, people with a very imaginative way of thinking, which a lot of us actors are, you know, we have, gives you room to think up the worst case scenario for everything. Mm. But it took me till I was 32 to fully understand the anxiety side of it and to recognise that's what, I didn't mm. have a stomach ache. I wasn't being sick, I, it was anxiety. Yeah. So it took me a long time to start dealing with that. Which funnily enough is one of the things I'm gonna put in my time capsule later because it's been so important to me. Okay. So yeah, I'll come back to that. But yeah, it started when I was about seven and and it's just it blights you your whole life, but you mm. learn to deal with it and you and that's the key. That's the key so it doesn't bother you.
0: And it is partly that thing of not knowing what's coming. As you say, this podcast is more stressful than going on doing a musical in front of thousands of people because in the musical you know what's going to happen.
2: I know every step.
0: Yeah, whereas this is life without any guarantees.
2: Yeah, but shall I tell you something weird is whenever I do kind of chat shows and stuff, if there's a live audience there the show person in me comes out and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre. It's just so bizarre, the things that we choose to worry about or not to worry about. Yeah. And those things you choose to worry about end up manifesting into anxiety because you've spent a day giving it so much importance, and one of the tricks is to stop giving everything importance. That's one of the best tricks.
0: Yes, well, as you say, the realisation, having been through it, that the fame of something is... Sort of irrelevant, really, and doesn't last, and it's not important.
2: Yeah, it's not, and it doesn't last. And like we've said, just, you know, the only things that last are the lessons you learn and the people you collect. Mm -hmm. That's it, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So how long in total, then, do you think you were in girl bands?
2: Oh, ten years.
0: Ten years. Wow.
2: Ten years, and I cannot tell you the amount of bands I was in. I just used to get poached. I was at drama school, I left then i just auditioned for aura which is the academy of live and recorded art i really wanted to go they said to me you can have a 3 year unconditional place here without auditioning Ooh. fabulous wow yeah so i thought well i'll do a bit of singing and i'll come back and then another band came along and i've had more record deals than you've had hot dinners <laughs> none of them did a thing for me where's my money so I kept kind of putting it off and putting it off and being in another band and another band and another band. You get to know everyone in the industry. Mm. And then when I fell pregnant, I had to stop. And I then took myself back off to drama school.
0: Right. With twins.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my huge, <laughs> bulging...
0: <laughs> well, that's impressive. Yeah. That's amazing. What age was that?
2: Um, I had the... god. You'd think I'd know when I had my kids, wouldn't you? <laughs> I was twenty. I think I was 28.
0: Amazing. Yeah,
2: so, I, so from about 19 to 28 I sung and went everywhere with pop bands and did all the wild stuff and then the twins came and the wildness had to stop. Thank God.
0: Well, you say <laughs> that, but you went back to drama school.
2: I did. When
0: everybody else was 19, 20. Yeah. There you are, 28, with an enormous bump. Huge bump.
2: Two six-pound babies and I'm at drama school. <laughs> I'll never forget I had to go for an audition when I was pregnant with them. Oh, and it was for an advert, and they were trying to do, like, a mock... This was pre-Watershed, by the way, a mock porn, but it wasn't porn. It was like, the you know the, wow, chicka, wow, wow, before yes. when the guy comes in to fix the washing machine? It was kind of all that, but it it, it was just a joke, and it never got to that, obviously, but I had to... I had to be all sexy and I think I had to kiss him and I've never felt more like a big fat humpty dumpty. I had huge... Sh- I was pregnant, I couldn't see my feet <laughs> and they gave me a dressing gown so I was horrific.
0: Horrific. Oh, no. <laughs>
2: was, yeah, I've never felt less sexy in my life. I'm not
0: surprised. I have a feeling that I said yes too quickly when you said, you know that down... <laughs> I went, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Hold on, let me just close my browser. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Right. Well then I will definitely take the fantastic period of girl band, but also meeting Duncan yeah. and him becoming your friend.
2: Yes. So my Dunk gets buried in there and he is, by the way, the most amazing friend. It really is. He's the most supportive, lovely, gorgeous man. So yeah,
0: Dunk. Fantastic. Okay, that's number one. Yeah. So what's number two?
2: My second thing that I'm gonna bury is and it's a f- feeling i suppose mm. of kind of we were like overwhelmed with joy we opened hairspray we were the first show back after a nearly two year hiatus when the arts went <laughs> <clears throat> um we were at rehearsals for 3 days back in 2020 at the beginning of the year 3 days and all of a sudden we're going there's this Flu thing? What the hell? Mm. No, it's nothing. It's just media hype. Nothing's going to happen. Three days in, everybody collect your belongings, we're done. And we all thought, oh, well, we'll be back in a week. Yeah. This is some media. You know, everyone thought it was the media blowing it up, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And then it got more serious and then it got more serious. And then and then 16 months went by with everyone in theatre going, are we going back? Are we not? Yes, we are. No, we're not. May? No. June? Yes. July? In the end, we went back. We opened in June 2021. Mm -hmm. We opened to a socially distanced audience at the Coliseum. Me, Michael Ball, Les Dennis, the terrible trio, uh, Lizzie B, (laughs) Marisha Wallace, some amazing people. And we opened up to a socially distanced audience, which was weird because it's a 3,000-seater and it was half full. So that was just bizarre. But we'd been – I mean, we had really been, all of us, especially me, Miss Anxiety – Hermited. Is that a word? Hermited? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a word. Hermited for all that time kind of sitting in the house going, ah, this is how non-anxious people feel. Everything's okay. I'm safe in the house. Mm. Suddenly out on stage at the Coliseum, first show back after the pandemic to a socially distanced audience, which, as you'll know, is a strange thing to look at from stage. Mm. So anyway, we got the show up and running. And then I think it was about two or three weeks later... All the rules were relaxed and we were allowed a full audience. And Hairspray is such an uplifting show anyway. And it was such an incredible production. And we went out to a full audience, of 3,000 people. We were the first ones back. And I can't tell you the, it, it was just overwhelming at the end when, you know, the standing ovations every night because people were just so happy and excited to be back in a the theatre. Mm. It was electric. It was electric. You obviously went home and you couldn't sleep. And I'm not one to let that get to me normally. I'm like, yeah, it's a job. I'm very, very much, it's a job, do the job, go home.
0: Yeah. Well, you've had twins since you were 28. You've had other things to do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I have, and I'm very much head down, do the job, go home. But this one was so special and, and uh, you could feel the joy from the audience, because they were allowed out of the house. Mm. They were allowed to go to the theatre. They could come and see one of their favourite shows. And honestly, it was just electric. And so I guess it's a feeling, isn't it? And it was a feeling of achievement as well, because our producers managed to get us through mm. this incredible time. We had 10 off-site swings. Wow. So for anyone that doesn't know, you do. A swing is an understudy, basically, that can do a million different parts all in one go. And they employed 10 swings that we never met and we weren't allowed to see. And they lived in another building. And, I mean, people were going off left, right and centre because all the bugs came out Mm -hmm. because we were back together. So it wasn't just COVID, throat infections and you name it. And one night someone went off mid-show because their voice just cut completely And when we went back on after the interval, (laughs) he was different. We didn't know him. We'd never met him. He was a different guy. A
0: complete stranger. A complete stranger. And it was just so insane. It's like a time warp, isn't it? It's like you've gone into a different reality because that person knows all the moves and knows all the lines.
2: Knows everything. How extraordinary. I mean, swings are... I know there's been a lot of stuff on on Twitter about swings and understudies are the saviours of theatre, but they really are. Mm -hmm. Because without them, we learn one track... I know what to do, I've got my song, I've got my dance, leave me alone. They're doing six, seven tracks all at once. Yeah. At the drop of a hat, they're called
0: in to do it. It's extraordinary, that thing, isn't it? Because when you learn a dance routine along with a song, the movements eventually become something you don't ever think about. You just You just do them. Yeah. So if at that point in that song, on that word you move to your left. That's what you do automatically. Now, this person has to know to do that and yet, at the same time, learn the person who's standing behind them who steps to their right.
2: Yes. Incredible. We had swings that are swings that we were allowed physical contact with. We had our swings in the wings and the wings at the Coliseum are huge. You'd watch them doing the show in the wings they've heard that person's got a sore throat, they're out there, they're they're checking to make sure they've got their track down. I mean, they're, they're just phenomenal. Yeah. I'm like, just about managing my own track and that's it.
0: <laughs> and they're not paid a lot, despite the fact that they're doing these amazing jobs. No, they're not. People think that once you get into acting, once you actually get the work, everybody gets paid a fortune.
2: Oh, we're all rich, aren't we? Oh, yeah. You know, the amount of comments I read about where she's minted, I mean... I've worked in theatre for the last four years. Almost
0: without a doubt, if you look up any actor and you Google them, there will be a link to how much is so and so worth.
2: <laughs> I am apparently worth something like two point five million. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, even though I've been working in theatre where the funding has been cut to death, mm-hmm. and we've had barely any help, and because if you don't, you don't work, you don't get paid. That's it. No show, no money. No. So, yeah, I love the fact that I'm worth two and a half million. (laughs)
0: That would be everything you've ever earned.
2: (laughs) No tax, no commission, just that.
0: (laughs) No, there we are. Wow, what a feeling, though. What a feeling that must have been.
2: Yeah,
0: it was. I mean, for a start, just performing in front of 3,000 people is pretty impressive. I mean, that's an amazing feeling as it is. But you can become blasé about that, can't you? You can get used to it.
2: Oh, absolutely, you really can. Um, I remember one night, me and... I won't say who an actress <laughs> who I worked closely with on the show we would have because you know you can have um, little muckabouts on stage that as long as the audience never see mm. and I remember saying to her one night because we got the giggles people have paid to watch this stop it <laughs> stop, stop it because it. Mm. <laughs> you forget you know they've paid to come and see and you've got to give them a good show every night yeah oh
0: my <laughs> agent <laughs> well answer it go on
2: well, we'll see what she wants. Better be good. Better be good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, doing that with Michael Bald, because he was the original in the West End, was he? He
2: was the original Edna, and I could not possibly think of anyone else to do it now, That I've spent, you know, what was it, 18 weeks, I think, with Michael.
0: I saw him do it with Mel Smith.
2: Yes, and also, I think the, the first time around, Les was in at some point as well with Michael. Was he? Yeah.
0: Oh, thank God I didn't see that. (laughs) That Les Dennis is terrible. Terrible. Terrible.
2: Um, Yeah, Michael was a fabulous Edna. Me, Michael and Les were a terrible trio. They made a tough job. Joyous. They really did.
0: I love those people. There's nearly always one in a company, and if you can hang on to them, there's always a moment where you could quite easily start to moan. Absolutely. And whinge. Yeah, And those people just stop you in your tracks and they're brilliant.
2: You're so right. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a job where I didn't. Everyone gets it. You hit a wall and it's so repetitive and it's such hard work and the rehearsal period is Mm -hmm. so long and tech, you know, you're teching sometimes till midnight and like you move an inch in four hours and you're like, oh, and it's very easy to go, oh, I can't do this. And Michael and Les and the Michaels and the Leses of this world make it brilliant. They make it brilliant. Les is made of iron. He didn't miss a single show. And Michael <laughs> only missed one. He was very ill. They're what we call the old school. You know, they'll be in if they've got a bucket in in the wings and they're puking, they'll be there.
0: Well, okay then. I'm gonna put in I'm gonna put in the roar. The roar. When you've finished. Yes.
2: It was, it was that song. You can't stop the beat. Yeah.
0: You can't stop the beat. Boom! <clears throat>
2: Exactly. And your hair, like, flies back at the electricity in oh. the room. It was just insane. It was brilliant. And we happened to have gold glitter cannons, obviously, that went off at that point as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised. Wow. God, I wish I'd been yeah, there. Yeah,
2: it was incredible. So the electric hairspray raw.
0: Wonderful. Yes. That's in the time capsule for Great. you. Great. Right. Okay. So we're on to number three. Right, it's ad break time. We'll be back with more from Rita in a very short while. See you soon.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: Welcome back. OK, let's find out the next thing that Rita Simons would like to put in her time capsule.
2: Number three, this is an easy one. So, my twin number one, older by one and a half minutes, when she was born, she was born hearing impaired. And we weren't sure, we weren't sure. They thought it might be glue She'd had a cold. They thought she had meningitis. She didn't, thank God. I spent five months banging saucepans behind her ears and trying to figure out, and I wasn't sure, but I did. I think my mother's instinct knew she was deaf. Anyway, I used to play the Jack Johnson album called In Between Dreams. I used to play this song, so bearing in mind having twins is not easy and I would have a baby in each arm, she might have just done a poo, she might have just puked on me and it was just like a constant juggling act of trying to, and I used to put um, In Between Dreams on and rock them because there's a song called Banana Pancakes on that album and it's beautiful and I think he plays a lot of ukulele and stuff and it's it's like dreamy, dreamy music and the whole album I used to just play constantly and rock the kids and they always went to sleep. And I always wondered if Maya could hear it or if she just liked the rocking motion. Mm. So when they were five months old, I was told after lots of tests that she was deaf. Not fully deaf yet, but mostly deaf. To which I obviously said, no, she's not. Packed up my bag, you know, with all the baby stuff in it and walked out with my children. Got to the car, burst into tears and thought, oh God, I've got to go and deal with this. Because I tried, I just tried to go, no, 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 no. So I went back in and I said, okay, what what do I do? So we need to fit her for hearing aids. Um, She now has a cochlear implant and is incredibly, um, incredibly talented. She's, and she sings and this is all because of the cochlear implant. But back then we didn't know about cochlears. And she was too young. So Mm. we had these hearing aids fitted and it takes a few weeks for them to come through. And then you have to come in and you have to do the fitting and what have you. So we went back in five months old, put her little hearing aids on her little head, which I had to stick with toupee tape down and put mittens on her because she just wanted to pull them out the whole time. Mm. And I remember thinking this isn't much of a reaction. And I was like, God, I don't, maybe I was wrong, maybe she I just kept refusing to kind of believe the facts. Maybe she wasn't mm-hmm. deaf, maybe she doesn't need these hearing... Anyway, did the whole... They programmed them to exactly her specification. We were in there for quite a long time. We left, I put the kids back into the back of the car, put them in their baby seats, turned on Jack Johnson banana pancakes, and there was the reaction that, I, yeah... She kind of went from agitated and, you know, doing what a five-month-old does to eyes wide open, looking around like, what the hell is that? And she could suddenly hear. And and it just kind of was the most incredible feeling because all my questions had been answered and my daughter could hear Jack Johnson, could hear. Uh And it was just, I mean, it's just incredible. And, And I know you see all of these very overly dramatic videos. And it wasn't as dramatic as that, but it was for me, my heart just exploded completely. Yeah. Subsequently, she actually went on to lose all of her hearing in her right ear by the time she was seven, Mm. um, which we knew might happen because she's got a, a number of conditions that mean any trauma to the ear, loud noises, bangs, can... Basically, they knock off the hairs on the cochlea that are the receptors that tell our brain we're hearing. Mm. So we kind of knew that might happen. So by the time she was seven, she had lost her hearing. And she's got a tiny bit in her left ear with a hearing aid that she still does use. And we call that her lovely left. We always try and look after her left ear. No ear infections, no bangs, no noise, because she's got a bit of residual hearing. Anyway, suffice to say... She has the most beautiful speaking voice. She sings, she acts. I mean, any dialect, she's got it. And she's just got back from five months filming in Belfast as a lead in a CBB sci-fi. She's going back next year to film it again. And then she's going back the following year to do it again. Wow. So had it not been for the cochlear, she wouldn't have been able to do, you know, all the dialogue. There's no way. But they have featured her hearing impairment in the show. So we know that her character is deaf.
0: How prominent are those implants?
2: Well, the hearing aid, she's kind of going through this like gothy stage at the moment. So she loves it. She's got a black glitter mould for her hearing aid. So that's just like a little hearing aid. <laughs> this side, what she had done was day, which was heartbreaking to go through, they drill into the skull and they feed electrodes into the cochlea which is a snail-shaped bit in the ear which has fake hairs on it electrodes wow and then what happens is they planted a little magnet just under the skin above the skull so she can stick her head to the fridge and stuff which she finds hilarious (laughs) and she wears a processor that looks like a hearing aid but it's got a wire attached and a little magnet that sits under her hair when that's on She can hear.
0: Amazing. And
2: the best part is she can Bluetooth it, so she can be sitting there (laughs) talking. You're like, who are you talking to? She's got her phone, her laptop, her iPad. It's all in her head.
0: extraordinary thing. I know. Amazing.
2: She was so excited. um, (laughs) We took her into hospital, and they drew an arrow on her head to make sure it was the right side. She was like, oh! And I was thinking, oh, God, (laughs) you don't know what you're in for. But she was... She has said to me, thank you, Mummy, for giving me this. All she's ever wanted to do is act, and she's doing it.
0: Well, what a brilliant thing you've given your daughter. Good. Yeah. Okay, When I'm going to put Jack Johnson into the time capsule for you. Okay. That's a lovely memory. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right, we've got two more things.
2: So my final thing to keep... Yes. It's a forward slash because it's kind of two things together. Walking meditation. How old am I?
1: (laughs)
0: What is that?
2: Well, so I spent years and years and years being wild, completely wild. And obviously with my anxiety, I told you, it took me till I was 32 to really go, ah, this is <laughs> this is anxiety. Right, how do we fix this? So, I learned about that time when I was 32, I learned I started getting really into meditation. I used to go to work at Eastenders and I'd come in at 6:30 a.m put a do not disturb up on my door and do half an hour's meditation every morning. Mindful, just mindfulness, which is basically it's being present. It's not worrying about the past or the future. It's just being in the present and noticing everything around you. And when you master that, and trust me, my anxiety has been so crippling at times. When you master that, something magical happens to your brain and when you go through life, you your brain automatically doesn't veer off to the future constantly. And you you make it a habit. And you make it a habit when you're brushing your teeth. You're brushing your teeth and you how often are you brushing your teeth, going, oh, I've got to get there by two o'clock and I've got to do this? Mm-hmm. How often have you ever actually gone, oh, that that's the toothbrush on my teeth? I can taste the toothpaste. That's I can hear the tap running. And it's basically just that concept. And I have to say that meditation, for me, for anxiety, saved me. It was the best cure. You know, so many people say to me, what can I take? What can I do? And I always say, I Mm -hmm. know it's boring, but meditation and learning how to balance your mind in that way where you're aware of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. The better you get at it, the more you get to go, okay, that's just anxiety. And it dissipates. The best analogy I ever had was you're sitting on the side of a road and the cars are passing and the cars are your thoughts. And when you don't practice meditation, you jump on the cars and you go down the road and you get into all sorts of trouble. Mm -hmm. When you're meditating, you just go, oh, there's a blue car. Let it pass. And you watch your (laughs) thoughts. You don't entertain them. You acknowledge them. You don't entertain. Anyway, cut to lockdown. So I've always had dogs. And I've always walked and I've always loved, I love nature. And the older I've got and the less wild I've got, the more old and boring I've got, because my idea of heaven is walking in fields. And I've just got back from a week in Devon and it was heaven, heaven, just walking, walking, walking. And during lockdown, I found it really hard to meditate because I was so bored, you know, I was so, and you do have to really sit and I'm, I've got so much energy So I started walking meditations, which is exactly the same as meditation, but you're walking. And I don't know how often you've ever been out in a field or wherever you are and actually listened to nothing. (laughs) And it's the best sound ever. It's deafening. It's so gorgeous. And I will try my best until my dog does my head in to keep walking with mindfulness, with mindfulness. I leave my phone in the car. I don't ever bring my phone with me unless I'm taking stupid pictures. And I would say that without the meditation and the walk, walking for me is honestly like my, I love it. It's just been, and I still, when I finish here, I'm going for a long, long walk. If I don't walk every day, I really notice the difference. Mm -hmm. And I'll go for walks sometimes with friends who are on their phones. And I'm like, "No, no, 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 put your phone away. Just, just look. Can you see? There's trees. There's sky.
0: And as you say, that extraordinary sound of nothing. Oh, it's the best. Which, particularly during the day, if you've ever done an open air theatre, you know what that sound is. Because once it goes dark, that sound disappears, and you can't really hear it during the day. But it is there. Yeah.
2: But to me, silence is a noise in itself. I mean, could I get any deeper? But that's how I feel. (laughs) I love nothing more than just listening to silence. And there's something so calming about that when you're an anxious person, or not even an anxious person, just a person.
0: Well, I think everybody's anxious to a certain degree. I think so. Everybody has anxieties. Yeah. And so it's useful. And there are moments in your life where that anxiety will come to the fore. As an actor, you develop a skill to learn how to calm yourself down, how to keep that in check otherwise you'd never walk on the stage
2: you wouldn't and the reason especially the reason I'm putting this in my time capsule is that I think without the meditation I would never have learned to do that which is I do get amazingly nervous on opening night honestly like vomit inducing nervous but I've learned to go okay we're not going to get on the car and ride down the road with it we're just going to accept that's how we feel and it, dissipa- it doesn't dissipate on opening night, obviously, but it makes everything calmer and, yeah.
0: Yeah. What a brilliant thing, that thing of, of being in the moment, being, okay, here I am. Yeah. I'm standing in the wings. There's the stage manager in the corner. I can hear the sound of the audience. I'm going to walk out. I know what my first line is. Everything else will just take care of itself. Yeah.
2: I'm going to go on. I'm going to be in the present. And they also say that we lose, theoretically, portions of our life Because we go through motions like doing a whole show or even, you know, when I leave here and I go for a walk, if I wasn't mindful and I was worrying about the next two days of my life, I've lost that day. That I wasn't there. I wasn't present. And they Mm. say that when you learn to be present, you actually kind of gain a longer life because you've been present (laughs) for it. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Um, And I think so many people go through life missing life because there's a great saying, that I won't swear because you'd have to beat me up.
0: No, I don't mind.
2: Okay, I'll have to say (laughs) it. It was, don't worry about yesterday or tomorrow or you're going to piss all over today. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. It's just like you're ruining the moment. And it is a skill. It doesn't just come easily. You have to practice, practice, practice. But had I not discovered that, I'd have probably quit the industry because my anxiety would be out of... Well, I'd have probably quit life because I'm always worrying about everything. And what meditation taught me, and walking particularly, is that people say to me all the time, how do I get rid of my anxiety? You'll never get rid of your anxiety. You will learn how to not let it bother you. Mm -hmm. Because anxious people will always have anxiety. It's learning the tricks to go, okay, that's anxiety, and it dissipates. So for me... That's like the most important thing because I think that's a tool so many people could and should use and that that I'll take with me and do take with me everywhere. And it's always within you. Mm. It's within you. You don't need anything. It's, It's right there just by going, come back to the present.
0: Brilliant. I'm going to do walking meditation this afternoon. Do it.
2: Do it. Just think. I am. And also, every time your mind wanders, which it does, because we have something like a ridiculous amount of thoughts a day. I can't remember the number. When your mind wanders off, the trick, and the, the thing that works, so people think, oh, no, I didn't manage to have an empty mind for 20 minutes. It's not even about that. It's about catching your mind wandering off and going really gently, oh, okay, I've wandered off, come back. That's the act that rewires the brain right there when you catch yourself doing it. Because then when you go through life, it's really easy to catch yourself wandering off onto ridiculous chains of thoughts. Yeah. So when you do it, just feel your feet on the floor. I mean, listen to the sound. And also you listen to the sounds, but you don't entertain them. So you don't go, and that's a blue tit and that's that's a robin. You just go, I can hear the birds. That's it. That's it. And I can hear the silence. Okay. Yeah. You'll feel amazing. You'll feel amazing.
0: I'll try. I spend my life... (laughs) I spend my life with my mind making jokes up.
2: (laughs) That I like.
0: I entertain myself in my head with wordplay. You're not
2: allowed. You're not allowed. (laughs) Because what I've noticed is when you go... Even though I've got like 10 million things going on, as you know, because we've been trying to do this podcast for about 100 years, I tell myself on my walks, you're not allowed, all the stuff will still be there in an hour do your walk, and then you can think so much more clearly after, and your jokes will be even funnier <laughs> after.
0: <laughs> I doubt that. I doubt that very much. <laughs> oh, brilliant, reader. I'm going to put walking meditation yes. into the time capsule. Yes. How lovely. What a brilliant thing. The things I learn on this podcast.
2: It is the best. You'll love it. You'll love it. And you have to let me know how you got on.
0: Well, you know, if it's in that moment, and I feel like talking to you then, I will.
2: Exactly. I'm, Don't jump on that truck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have the final thing to put in. This is something you want to get rid of.
2: Okay, so I decided we're not going to go heavy here because we've heard enough of me moaning about nervous breakdowns and divorce and God knows what, and that's all very depressing. So I'm going to give you one that is so shameful and embarrassing, but it's all out there. So I'm going to tell you... (laughs) When I had just started EastEnders, I went to one of my first ever award ceremonies. <laughs> I was, you know the saying green, right? I was green. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you know where that saying comes from?
0: Green wood, I suppose. Yeah, I, I it green wood?
2: heard it was green baby cabbage.
0: No. Yeah. Really?
2: Yeah. So you're green, but like oh. you're not wise to any of it. Why a cabbage? I don't <laughs> know. But anyway, so I was green, little baby cabbage. I really knew nothing, you know, I'd been in, I'd come from wild pop band days. Suddenly I'm at a TV event at the Dorchester and there was free booze and (laughs) I got absolutely slaughtered. I learnt my lesson in one go right there. I don't really remember much. Um apart from it being raucous and then ending up at my friend's restaurant Little Italy in Soho because Mm -hmm. my mate owns it. But I wasn't really sure. Anyway, I went home, woke up in the morning with like an existential crisis kind of hangover, you know. I don't get hangovers anymore, by the way, so I won't get that drunk ever ever again (laughs) because they scare me. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I've done something really bad. (laughs) What what happened last night? I can't remember what happened. I was racking my brains and I thought... I'm famous now. I can go to Google. because so I really was quite new on EastEnders. So I Googled myself. Mm-hmm. And there I was, knickers on show, snogging my executive producer, who is a gay man, by the way. I'm one of my oldest friends, or was one of my oldest friends. Um, <laughs> front page of The Sun, I think it was. Absolutely hammered. Doing really rude things with other cast members. Like, not actually rude, but pretending. I won't say what they are. Anyone listening, please feel free to Google it. You won't, you won't miss it. Um, oh, it was just horrific. I was, I was basically sat outside with the Paps just performing. Um, oh no! Yeah, but I don't remember any of it.
0: No, of course not. I don't
2: remember any of it. There's even a brilliant picture of me in the back of a cab sticking my middle finger up to the Paps. I mean, talk about like I thought I was Noel Gallagher. Yeah. And I spent the whole day wanting to just die, like wanting the ground to open up
0: and swallow me. What would Babs have said to you? Oh,
2: she wasn't happy. She phoned me. I bet. Darling, what you done? What you done? She was not happy. I got told off. We all got told off. We all got a mighty bollocking. Sorry Mm -hmm. for the language. Barbara was not happy at all. And the more phone calls I got, the more my existential crisis grew and I literally wanted to just die. Like, (laughs) die. Honestly. You know, that drunk...
0: Oh! (laughs) It's sort of what they're doing at those events. That's what they're doing. You turn up, would you like a drink? Yeah. Would you like a martini? Yeah. This is free drink. And then you drink in a bar and then you go to a table and it's covered in wine. And would you like more It was
2: everywhere. I remember at one point doing tequila shots with Nick Hewer. (laughs) Um, I think he just did the one and I was like, give me 40. And I never again ever drunk at an event like other than maybe a little glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And I think that the press thought, oh, this is going to be a good one. She's going to cause trouble for the next 10 years. But I didn't. And I was so boring after that at every single event, so (laughs) petrified to do the same that I have, well, I don't get drunk anymore. I hate it. Mm -hmm. But I just have never, ever, ever gone anywhere near it ever again, and it was horrific, and I definitely had my knickers on show.
0: The press will make a story out of anything, and particularly those papers, those ones that we all know about. And I I find it astonishing that anybody bothers to even look at them, because almost everything they ever publish is just not true.
2: I know. Well, what was true was I was definitely out of my tree and acting like a maniac, but but yeah.
0: Yeah, but go down any high street on any Saturday night or Friday night and you've got other people doing that. You want to photograph someone falling yeah. over drunk, there it is.
2: <laughs> but why does it matter that you're
0: in EastEnders? It doesn't matter.
2: I know, I know.
0: And it's the risk of anything that you do in the public. So this sort of yes. thing, somebody will find a little phrase that we know is completely harmless yeah, yeah. or is a joke yeah, and they turn it into a full-page story mad
2: absolutely and you know what i learned very early on is you never read the comments no the comment people are so mean oh my so I, I haven't read the comments for years and years and years no i remember when um the story came out that my ex-husband and i were getting divorced mm-hmm. and i stupid i don't read the comments i do not read the comments but i just there were so many comments and i thought i just let me see a couple of them and they were so mean. They were so mean. Bearing in mind I was going through, you know, horrific time. Yeah. Um, ah, she was always dog rough anyway. Yeah. <sighs> uh, she was punching anyway, Okay, cow. <laughs> From people I, who so have
0: no, never met these people in your yeah. life. No idea who you are. Yeah. I know.
2: But, yes, this one, this one taught me... Basically, I wasn't green when I came away <laughs> no, apart from, your from face. Google the next day. <laughs> In the morning, yes. <laughs> On the floor.
0: <laughs> oh, Rita, what a great lesson to learn. Yeah. Oh. Do
2: not drink at the Dorchester and perform for the paps on the front doorstep. <laughs> no matter how much of a show-off you are.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, how lovely, how lovely it's been to talk to you.
2: Oh, it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure and I think we mentioned it at the beginning we should give a special mention to my gorgeous friend Les Dennis who was the one that said you must, you must, you must so I've yes. done it Les and I'm glad I did
0: absolutely and if anybody's not listened to Les Dennis's episode on this then do because he is fantastic yes oh Rita, brilliant
2: thank you so much
0: lots of love bye you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens and my guest, Rita Simons. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done already. We'll send you all new episodes as they become available. Please rate and review this episode if you have a spare second and feel free to follow either me or my time capsule or both of us, in fact, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We're very friendly and love to hear from you with questions, comments or suggestions about future guests. You can download or stream the full version of the My Time Capsule theme tune, which I should imagine is called something like the My Time Capsule theme tune, on Spotify. It was composed and performed by Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production for Acast, available on all good podcast providers, and probably one or two shared ones. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm back to reading my latest book on reverse psychology. Now, it's really interesting, but yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. It's probably not your sort of thing. I mean, in fact, I doubt you'd enjoy it. Ha ha, Trickcha. Bye.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.